It's time to fire up the three-cylinder star drive, the show that sputters along, touring a galaxy of pop culture and fanboy fiction. And now, here are your hosts, Richard Coop and Roger Colby. Hey, welcome back to Three Cylinder Star Drive. I'm Roger Colby. I'm Richard Coop. Well, today we have a couple of films to talk about. Um, sorry we weren't here last week. I was in uh, Tampa, Florida at the AP Reading. Mm-hmm. Where I read one thousand and nine essays in a week. I got paid for it though, so I guess it's good. And I got to stay in a nice hotel and get plenty of food and ate a Cuban sandwich at the place where the Cuban sandwich was invented, the very first one. Oh yeah, he it's wasn't a, in Cuba. No, it's a restaurant called the Columbia. Oh, it was yeah. founded in nineteen oh five, and uh, it was a pretty great place, let me tell you. And then they also had. And a uh, authentic uh, thatch-roofed Irish pub there run by Irishmen and um, actual IRA members. So that was interesting. Oh, <laughs> IRA members. Yes. Oh. Did I tell you that story? You did not. Oh, my goodness. So we were at the, at the pub, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the waiter, who's the owner, okay, he's a very thick Irish accent, comes over to my table, and he's taking our order, and I look on his arm, and there's this IRA tattoo on his arm. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And so I start looking around. And uh, I didn't notice this last year when I was in there, but there's like IRA stuff like all over the walls in there. And uh, there was a guy that comes in, one of the teachers, and he had on a shirt for a, uh, a British soccer team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just watched the, the waiter go over to his table, the owner, and he looked at him and he went, he said something about, you know, we don't really welcome that here. And... The guy stood up and like turned his shirt wrong side out because he said he wanted to have peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, there's a dartboard in the pub with the Queen's picture on it. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty uh, it's pretty authentic Irish uh, stuff. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to go there. <laughs> no, it's a real friendly place, actually. Um, but what you don't understand is that and this is kind of going off the board for 20 and kind of off subject for what yeah, we're doing. But yeah. it's fine. I want to talk about it because it's kind of interesting. So during the 70s, the IRA were almost like terrorists and stuff. And they did bombings. If they were terrorists. They did bombings and they did drive-bys and stuff like that because they were trying to get the British out of Ireland. And uh, a lot of those guys were exiled and, or hunted. And they ended up coming to the United States and founding pubs here in the U.S. So there's a lot of these pubs around. Uh, most of them are in the East Coast, but uh, there's a lot of these pubs around that are owned by these IRA guys. So isn't that interesting? Anyway, so, but onto the subject of, of, our, of our podcast today. Um, Richard and I went to see the new Bill Murray and Adam Driver film, uh, the Dead Don't Die. Uh, yeah, the uh, Jim Jarmusch film. Yeah, Jim Jarmusch. Usually, you said something about other movies he's done. He it's does... mostly it's mostly like really art house stuff. Really, yeah. But he does stuff like I think he did a film just called Coffee and Cigarettes, and then <laughs> he did he's done like several things with with Bill Murray. I, uh, yeah. He did that movie? I think he did that movie Broken Flowers. Uh huh. Which I wouldn't suggest Broken Flowers. No. Um, <laughs> I watched some of it. And I wouldn't suggest it. Um, <laughs> it's a strange movie. Well, and and there's stuff the content. In it. There's stuff in it that's it's not. Let's just say it's not uh, 
not for children, that's for sure, not for even, I don't know, we'll just leave it there. Yeah. Anyway, so we went to see this film, and we knew that it was going to be a deadpan comedy. We'd, wa- we'd read all the reviews, um, good and bad, um, and uh, I'm going to give it, honestly, and you're probably going to disagree with me, but I'm going to give this movie five-star rating. I'm giving it four, four and a half. Four and a half, okay. Um, it is a satire. Um, I'm going to just say that right up front. It's a very biting satire about current issues, about a lot of things going on in the news right now. Um, and uh, it could be offensive to certain people, depending on your political persuasion. Um, but, you know, uh, take that with a grain of salt. I think any filmmaker who's passionate about things, who decides to make a satire, and they're passionate about that kind of thing, they're going to be really overboard with it. And, and, and in some cases it kind of is, but I think it, mostly it, it needs to be that way. Case I, in point, I'm just going to make my case. So let's talk about Blazing Saddles, one of the greatest satires ever made. Okay? What's great about Blazing Saddles is that Mel Brooks tackles one of the most one of the biggest issues of his day, which was racism. Mm-hmm. And he does it in a way that some would say, oh, that beats him over, beats you over the head with it. Um, but honestly, it needed to be done that way because if you look at Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles was a critique of not just, um, you know, the, the whole problem with racism in the 70s uh, with, you know, at the time there were all these like housing projects they were just shoving uh, African-American people into. Um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, the, the war on drugs began and there was all this other stuff that is kind of like, you know, just kind of almost like a, a very racist kind of way of dealing with other people. And I think that Mel Brooks did a great job of calling out racism for what it was and making us laugh at it, but at the same time making us think. Um, and I think what this film does is kind of the same thing, if not on a more simple level. I mean, it's not on a level like Blazing Saddles. Um, the humor is very deadpan. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like deadpan humor, like Napoleon Dynamite kind of stuff, but it's even more low-key than Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really like Napoleon Dynamite. I know a lot of people like it. I don't, but I like this. Um, but getting back, you, I was um, getting back to what before you, you kind of um, you you thought I was fixing to make a point about what you were fixing to say. But what I was, you know, as I was going to build off of what you were saying is like some people might feel offended by this. Um, I I noticed when I was in the theater. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people laughing at the jokes and stuff, uh-huh. but then I was kind of looking around and saw there's kind of people just sitting still doing nothing. And, Scowling. And, yeah, so I wasn't, so I was, I wasn't sure if maybe they didn't get the humor, if it wasn't their kind of humor, or if they yeah. were just uncomfortable. Yeah, sometimes, I think what happens is if people, I think one of the things that's in the film that is, I mean, a glaring satirical note that everybody should get is um, the hat that uh, um, the farmer's wearing, that uh, Steve Buscemi's wearing. 
I mean, that hat is like so iconic right now. It uh, is. And what they do with it is a statement. And and if you, I mean, if you're, you know, if your political persuasion is support of the president, um, then, you know, and uh, of, of the whole MAGA thing, then you're going to be mad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're going to be mad. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's it's going to trigger you. I know. yeah. Here's <laughs> so. the thing. Here's the thing. I don't believe that everybody that supports Trump are a bunch of sure. redneck racists sure. that hate black people and Mexicans. Sure, that's absolutely true. So yeah. that yeah. let's get that out of the way. Yeah, let's but do that. yeah, but yeah, you are. There are going to be going to be people that see that and think it's directed toward them. Toward them, and, yeah. and it's not necessarily directed toward you as an individual. Mm-hmm. Jim Dar- Jarmusch is not pointing through the screen at you in the audience <laughs> going, personal. this is you! <laughs> but, however, uh, even though it is kind of triggering for people, I think it's still funny. I mean, it's really funny. <laughs> I was laughing I, because honest, of the way it's pulled off. I mean, it was, it was really I think hilarious. another thing, maybe people were don't want laughing. to spoil this movie at all. I know. I'm I not, want you to see I'm not spoiling it. Anyway, it. yeah, yeah. But, again, to what this movie was, I wasn't sure, because Jim Jarmusch makes all these kind of weird art, art house, house films, yeah. I wasn't sure what to make of it because this thing was kind of, kind of marketed and billed as like just a straight laugh out loud comedy. Right. And so and I think that's another reason maybe people were in there weren't laughing. This was like, wait a minute, this is not what I Wait a minute. What, I have to think about something now. Well, it's not that. It's just like this isn't the kind of humor I was expecting. I think maybe they were going in thinking something like Zombie Land or something. True. Because it was kind of marketed that way. It was. This it was, was marketed as kind of like a zombie land type film. But it is not at all. I mean, it, you're you're going to this. If you go to this film, be ex- expect to. Okay, I would say it's kind of like the thinking movie of like a Coen Brother movie or whatever. There's a lot of layered symbolism and a lot of layered, um, you know, allegory. Um, and, and it, it's a great, I think it's an excellent example of a satire. I think it really isn't as an English teacher, I can tell you that this is a very, very good example of a satire. I think it hit all the notes that a satire does in the way that like a Jonathan Swift writes about a modest proposal where he proposes that the way we deal with the Irish problem, because there's overcrowding and all this stuff and they're all poor is that we just eat their children. I mean, you know, I mean, this is this is kind of the same thing in that, but it's more of a symbolic, satirical film um, and allegorical. Uh, I I just really thought it was clever. But aside from all of that, it's funny. It is funny. It is really funny. You will laugh if you like just kind of that weird kind of humor. It's they do that thing where they kind of just have like that thing where they're I don't know how to describe it, but it's like it's kind of like delayed delayed dialogue yes. in between. There's like gaps in between the sentences and yeah. the conversations and stuff, and it just kind of sounds kind of awkward. But right. It's, but it's funny. One of the other things that it does is what a Cohen Cohen brother movies do this a lot in that um, there's these repetitive lines, mm-hmm. like in uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Uh, we're in a tight spot. You hear that all the time through the whole movie. You hear, we're in a tight spot. Um, there's a line that's repeated over and over again in this movie. And at the end, it's like, 
they break the fourth wall. I mean, <laughs> they break the fourth wall they with the break line. The, they break the fourth wall in the bunch. very beginning. They do it at the beginning, they do it in the middle, and they do it at the end. And it's just really kind of neat. There's to see a the lot of meta that. humor in this. A lot of meta humor. Um, <laughs> I mean, because they, they play on the actors that are playing. Be sure and watch the background as well, because there are things in the film that are references to other zombie films and other horror movies. Um, also, it feels like parts of it feel like one of those old B movies you watch in the drive-in from the seventies. Mm-hmm. That really deadpan, terrible acting kind of movie. You know, that's a horror movie. Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen what was that one film that I that that it reminded me of? It reminded me of the original version of Squirm. Oh, yeah. You know, that style of that 70s uh, really horrible film, we have no budget kind of movie where the actors are just terrible. And I, just... I, I, like the, <laughs> I like the bed to eat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they, play, they also play around a lot with the actual actors that are playing these parts and, and in films that they've been in, um, too. So um, There's a um, great... Star Wars reference. I won't spoil it, but <laughs> say so what it was. But I just wanted to mention it because this is kind of a, a thing I read recently. I thought was kind of funny. Was yeah. um, Adam Driver? There's a moment in there that uh, that's a Star Wars reference, and Adam Driver that had nothing to do with Jim Jarmusch. Uh-huh. Adam Driver went to Kathleen Kennedy, head of Lucasfilm, because uh-huh. you know you got to go through her she's right. the, she's the she's the gatekeeper she's the gatekeeper yeah <laughs> and uh and he asked her if he could do that and she said yeah go ahead yeah yeah it's pretty funny too i mean it's really funny and you, you get a little little geeky squee out of it when you see it it's really funny um but yeah i really loved it i thought it was smart um there are references to all kinds of films in this from phantasm to night of the living dead the original george romero Night of the Living Dead, um, just so many little references to other films, um, probably films that Jim Jarmusch loves, you know, so he wouldn't have put them in the movie. Yeah, I think, you know. I think I, um, my favorite character is, um, oh, what, what was her name? It was Tilda Swinton's character. Tilda Swinton's character. And she's and- this, she's this weird mortician <laughs> that's almost, that's also like a samurai. <laughs> and she wears this. <laughs> Come up. Kimono. Kimono, but she also wears like a black suit with like a bolo tie. Yeah, she's got like a like dope. a big, big, long, loopy bow bow tie, kind of like Colonel Sanders. Yeah, but like the back room of her morgue is a dojo. Yeah, and she's like, like doing Buddha. these weird, like these weird rituals with her sword. It's so strange. I, mean, I just really loved it. But there's a reason. I mean, there's a reason why all that happens. But uh, I don't want to give it away because it's so funny. Um, but we. We don't need to talk about it anymore because I think we're going to start spoiling it if we. Do. I will just say the reason I gave it four and a half though the reason we're different is because right at the end I felt like they went overboard a mm-hmm. bit too much. Uh, I felt like they it's like, well, if you didn't get it here, we're going to hit you over the head. <laughs> yeah, well, for about for about ten minutes. Honestly, you know, I think it speaks to the message of the film as well, and that what he does at the end with that beating you over the head stuff that you sense is. Really him beating you over the head. I think anybody who's... And this is just my opinion about it, but um, I think at any time you are a filmmaker and you're very passionate about a subject, you're going to want to drive it home at the end. And you're going to make sure that the people who aren't paying attention 
get it because it's very important to the filmmaker. Okay, so our our movie of the week. So we were gonna do one, but we're gonna have to figure out how to watch it. But we won't yeah, tell you what it is. We won't tell funny. you what it is, but it's, it's stinking funny. Pretty good. <laughs> I will we're say. We're trying to figure that, out the best way to watch yeah, it. Yeah, the best I, way for you to watch it. I don't know. Maybe y'all use some of my Amazon points to buy it. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm talking about people who are out there who want to see it. I know. There, but apparently it's a cult hit. It, I will say, here's a hint. It has Anthony Daniels in a starring role, and it's a British comedy from 1990. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, but instead, we decided to make the movie of the week a more, a more recent one. Uh, because honestly, okay, so, I mean, Peter Jackson, I have a love-hate relationship with Peter Jackson. Um, I really loved the original Lord of the Rings, okay, it was pretty good representation of the books, you know, uh, but The Hobbit really made me upset toward the end, I was just like, oh, whatever. Um, and I really like Peter Jackson's earlier stuff, like, uh, the, uh, uh, bad Taste. Oh, Bad Taste. I absolutely taste in, love that uh, film. That's such a great movie. I, um, I, I love the, I like the, I really love, I feel like it's, uh, it's a cult classic now, but it's still kind of underrated as The Frighteners. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I the love Frighteners. The Frighteners. Because he did that too. You don't realize he did The Frighteners. Um, but also, I mean, I really like a lot of his early, early films. And But, but I mean, Bad Taste is great. I mean, it, what's great about it is it is an achievement. Because it took an entire, like, four years to make the film. And you watch these, he made the, the actors, like, keep their beards and stuff and keep their hair the same length. And it caused a divorce. And they, oh they, made, all their, they made all their weapons. I think I've talked about it in a previous podcast. Yeah, I think but we did. They made all their weapons. I think we reviewed Bad Taste. Yeah, they, build all, they built all their, all the weapons in the movie are made out of, like, cardboard and tape and stuff. And they're just painted. And they added the special effects later of the of the, the the guns flares that they like actually scratched the film to make gun yeah. flares and stuff. I mean, it was an effort because he had no money. I mean, none, and had to do this whole movie. Plus, his villain died like halfway through the making of the film, and they had to redo it. Um, so, I mean, it it's pretty great. Um, but the one that we want to review for our movie of the week. Is Mortal Engines produced by Peter Jackson? Produced not by Peter directed, Jackson. Produced. Not directed. And I'm I'm starting to want based on this. I'm starting to wonder if he's doing a Steven Spielberg thing where he's like just gonna slap his name on any yeah, old crap. Yeah. So produced by Steven Spielberg. Well, or, you know. this 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 film, it's based on a series of novels, and actually the novel is the novels are pretty good. I read the first one. And it was kind of intriguing, but I got about two-thirds of the way through it, and I'm sorry, fans of Mortal, Mortal Engines. I just couldn't continue reading it. I felt that it was derivative, and it was just kind of like something that's been done a million times. I honestly think that just the concept of it is just kind of weak. <laughs> it's just uh, so weird. Just, in the future, all the cities are moving around on wheels. <laughs> and eating each other. And eating each other. <laughs> There's the premise. Yeah, that's pretty much the premise. Um, and there was some kind of six-hour six war, or six sixty-second war, where some new weapon called Medusa, Medusa like wiped yeah. out humanity. 
And so now they're all like live in these mobile cities that drive around and eat each other. And there's one big, huge uh, land-based city still based inside this huge mountain range. And there's only like one little way to get through there and none of the cities can fit. And so if you live there, that's you're the enemy of the people who are moving on mm-hmm. their cities. And the people who have a city that's land-based, they're called anti-tractionists. Yeah, that's, that's really stupid. That's really what they're that's called. That's really stupid. Uh, but, I mean, it's got Hugo Weaving, and it's got um, a bunch of other nameless actors. Uh, oh, it's got Smigel. Yeah. It's got, it's got Colin Salmon. I like Colin Salmon, though. Yeah, Colin, yeah he's all right. He's I like Colin right. Salmon. He's who, pretty good. Who plays the robot guy? Oh, Stephen Lang. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like Colin. I think he's a pretty good Zod. I, like I thought Zod. that the robot guy was... Lame. Was pretty lame. He was pretty lame, and the whole thing about it is... <laughs> I don't care. I'm, we're going to spoil it. This is movie <laughs> of the week, so we're spoiling it. Um, there's a whole... Now, listen, it's watchable. It's watchable. And it's somewhat entertaining, but it's a dumpster Look, fire. Look, here, here's the thing. <laughs> If a film lived and died by uh, by its visuals, this would be a masterpiece. Oh yeah, because Weta worked on this and they did an amazing it's, job. It's it's a, it's, it's a it's pretty a beautiful film. film. It's a great film. It's pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that's about all it has going for it because, unfortunately, like to a, make a complete like, film, what, what you need it? a plot. And a, <laughs> it's like you know, it's like a beautifully painted Easter egg. But inside the Easter egg is like a rotten egg with a worm in it. I mean, it is just so stupid. The And then there's the bit at the end when you find out that Hugo Weaving is the main character. Hugo Weaving plays the villain, by the yeah. way. And he's like, he have this scene where he actually goes, he, the girl goes, you killed my mom and my parents. Whatever. He's like, no, no, you didn't understand. I'm your father. No, that's impossible. And you're like, they what? don't actually say that. It's pretty much pretty the same. much. But he basically <laughs> says, he says, uh, he basically says, you're so much more like me than you're just like me. But you already knew that, didn't you? And that was. It's pretty. But, lame. It's, but yeah, and then there's this whole romance thing that's like. Here's the thing about the movie. It might have been, been good if they split it into like three films and yeah. given the characters more time to to, right. to develop. But everything moves at such a quick pace through this. You don't really care about any of the characters. And so you have all these parts that are supposed to be like really tragic and you're supposed yeah. to feel sad or whatever, but yeah. you don't care. Like the robot, there's a whole part where he's dying and there's this whole thing about where he was the surrogate father to her and stuff. But And then there's a part where he's, he's like, uh, I release you or whatever, and she's like, "Rockin' you," <laughs> and 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 it's supposed to be all sad, but we spent like like maybe ten minutes with him and see, the and thing her is, thing, so that's the, all we've had time for. We don't find out that Shrike had a child or that before he was a sh- the robot guy because he's a cyborg or whatever. Um, oh, he did. But um, we don't find out that he had a child. Get this. We don't find out he had a child or that he raised Hester until book two. You know? Mm. I mean, so oh, okay. there are things that they reveal way too early in the movie. And it was almost like they knew this thing was a stinker and it was only going to have one shot. And it's probably not going to have a sequel. 
So they just laid it all on the line. And, 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 it was, and, the, and then what happened is you just cram everything into one film. And it should have been... I mean, the books are all right. I mean, the books are okay. I mean, they're, you know, your normal uh, teen angst kind of yeah. book. Yeah. Um, the one thing about the book that's different than the film is that the Hester in this in the film has a little scar across her face, you know, a couple little scars across her face. The girl in the book is described as having such a bad scar on her face that her lips are separated top and bottom and you can see her teeth. Well, they're not going to do that cuz they <laughs> they need to sell it to the to the teen audience yeah. and they need them to look pretty like well, the uh, whole point of the book is I know. that it doesn't matter what you look like, it's what you are inside. That's the whole message of the novel. I mean, and they just shattered it to I mean, have it some was, stupid... I mean, that's what they... As much as I loved Ready Player One, that's what mm-hmm. they did with... Um, oh, man, I, I forget the lead name, the character's lead name's character. Anyways, um, that that Ty Sheridan played the lead character. Yeah. He He's like this pimply, geeky guy in the book, but they had to make him, you know... Uh, marketable marketable heartthrob heartthrob marketable to 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 an audience they had to make him palpable because it's like well some pimply nerd's not gonna sell tickets just once I wanna see a film that is I mean cause they even say like listen I don't watch Game of Thrones okay I don't watch Game of Thrones but we've all probably seen that image cycle of all those different characters from Game of Thrones and what they actually look like artist rendering what they probably look like in the book and oh my gosh, if they were to put make them look like they do in the book, nobody would watch that show because <laughs> they're all just ugly. They're horribly ugly. Everybody in that series. Oh just yeah, I heard, yeah. I heard they just canceled uh, that that Vi- their Vice news series on there. It's yeah. like, well, I guess there just wasn't enough nudity and sex in, in their news show for HBO audiences. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, so. Mortal Engines, it's a, you know, it's worth watching if you just have nothing to do for about two, two and a half. It's like two and a half hours long. It, yeah, it's about two hours. Oh, man, it was grueling. I watched it on a plane because there was nothing else. And so I was like, eh, Mortal Engines, I got a couple hours. <laughs> I got nowhere to go. I'm sitting here on this plane with these people. Might as well go. Anyway. Yeah, I rented it from, from Redbox for like a dollar seventy five because I was just gonna rent it at home on Amazon or something, but then it's, but it's like five ninety nine to rent on Amazon digitally. What? It's like I'm not it's like totally based on what you it. were telling me, I'm like I don't think I wanna pay six dollars. You see I was on the plane and I had the United app and the United if you fly United and you have their app, you can watch movies for free on their Wi Fi on the on oh. the plane, on your device if you have a device. And so it was free, so I was like, no harm done. We also watched the Meg, which we considered doing, but here's my quick review. <laughs> I love I loved the book. Read it when I was thirteen, loved the book. I hated the movie. It crapped all over the book. <laughs> End of review. <laughs> my review of the Meg Just a big sigh, basically. That's it. Well, you didn't read the book. That was one of my the, one of the first horror movies. So here's the thing. If I, I felt just, like it was Jaws three. Yeah. It with a bigger shark. That's basically I mean, what it was. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. There was comedy, some some comedic bits and stuff in in the novel, mm-hmm. but and it wasn't 
high art by any means. Yeah. It wasn't Stephen King or anything. <laughs> but it but it was but it was genuinely terrifying. It really had that dread in the yeah. book that made it scary and I was wanting a mega movie made since I read that book when I yeah. was in seventh grade. Yeah. And we finally get one and I was like, Yeah and they're like in an action comedy starring Jason Statham I was like oh, I don't want that. <laughs> and, and and Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson <laughs> Um, it was basically Dwight with lots yeah, of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the typical evil, evil corporate guy who's out to make money off of the giant shark, I guess, or whatever it was in the movie. But anyway, but kind of a funny story. That, that book was not for kids. No. Because I think I was like 12 years old when I read that, and I got it from the school library, and yeah. first page, it opened up, and there's an F word on the very first page. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, what? Because I'd, I'd never seen a curse word in a book before. I didn't know it existed. I always just, I don't know, my young, innocent mind just always thought books were all pure. Yeah, that's, I deal with the same thing when I teach the color purple, because the very first very first chapter in that book is a rape scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what Well, you don't have to worry about Catcher in the Rye anymore. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. They, they got rid of that. Yeah, unfortunately. Banned. Oh, well. Banned books are the best books, man. Anyway, a lot of, a lot of times, and you know that Huckleberry Finn's been banned, huh? Bunch. Oh yeah. Um, there's been some in, great in, books that have been banned. Inward Tom. <laughs> <laughs> that's a. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not uh, particularly good. Go Maybe see, it's best. Though. Go see uh, the Dead Don't Die. It's a fantastic film. Um, really smart. Um, and you know, if you're just bored and have a couple hours, Mortal Engines will entertain you at least. I wouldn't pay for it. I just wait no. till it comes to like Netflix or something. Yeah, just wait till it comes out on Netflix and watch it. Because then at least, you know, you've got all the mounds of other terrible films on uh, Netflix unless, to add with it. Unless you've got data caps and don't spend your data. Don't True. Don't waste your data Don't waste on it. it. Don't, don't waste any money on this movie. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Roger Colby. I'm Richard Coots. Mm-hmm.